We're teaching on honor, and this may be my last message on this for a while. We're going to talk today about restoring honor for God's ministers. And I think it would help if the ministers had respect for themselves. The irony is we teach our children to respect themselves. We teach them to have confidence. We teach them not to let others abuse them or misuse them. And all, all of our new social movements are about people standing up for themselves. And yet, uh, I think some preachers find it to be holy to diminish what God has called them to be. I understand we're servants, and I understand that, as it is written, we're killed all the day long for you. But at the same time, we need to have honor and respect for God's ministers. Because God endorses them. God anoints them. They are the ones God speaks to for, on behalf of the world. In fact, <laughs> the, the hypocrisy is we'll honor doctors, we'll honor lawyers, police officers, politicians, and even celebrities. But God doesn't talk to any of them about what he's about to do in the earth before he does it. He always talks to his preachers. Amen. So our verse, and I have my sermon is written out again. This will be the last time I do this for a while where I just basically read my sermon I have never done this until this sermon series, and so it's been a bit of an exercise for me, and I still find the temptation to want to step off and preach and exegete, but we'll see what we can do. 1 Samuel 2.30, this is one of our theme verses in this brief series on restoring honor to the kingdom. Verse 30, the Lord rebuked Eli, the priest, who was honoring his children by refusing to rebuke their sin. Remember, his children are grown. They are priests as well. And they're like a lot of dirty modern preachers. They're embezzling the tithe and having sex with the women around the church. That's the sins of Eli's sons. And all Eli will say is, don't do this. This is naughty. Well, how about you stone them? Because that's the prescription. Fornication, adultery, you kill them. No, that's my boy. Well, that's a perversion of judgment. And on top of that, the Bible tells us here in this passage that those three, the two sons and dad, had gotten obese off of the offering. Now, the priests were to live off of the whatever didn't burn. That's what the food they took home with. But he says, you have literally made yourself obese with my offerings. That kind of is a warning to preachers. Preachers should not get fat. Preachers should exercise the fruit of self-control because we live by example. We lead by example. Verse 30, the Lord said, uh, uh, verse 30, he said to Eli, Therefore the Lord God of Israel saith, I, sh I said indeed that your house, Eli, and the house of your father should walk before me forever. But now the Lord says, Be it far from me, for them that honor me I will honor, and they that despise me shall be lightly esteemed. The, the uh, Hebrew says, They that despise me shall be despised. The King James changes it up just for variety but it is despised. If you despise God, he'll despise you. One of the things we said in the earlier messages was that you cannot dishonor the kingdom without dishonoring God. You cannot dishonor a nation without dishonoring the people. You cannot dishonor a woman without dishonoring her husband. And you can't dishonor the preachers without dishonoring God because those are God's preachers. You can't dishonor the house of God without dishonoring God. You cannot dishonor the communion table without dishonoring God because these are his things. And one of the overall messages we've been trying to communicate is that the kingdom of God supersedes anything in existence, and we ought to treat it with some special respect, honor, veneration, or deference if we fear God. And the problem we have seen in our nation, and God help us because we're exporting it to the developing churches around the world who haven't had the gospel for 500 years like we have, 
We are making the kingdom of God common and profane. We are looking to the world to market it. We're looking to the world to see how does the world make things cool, and then we're bringing that into the church, and we're losing all power, respect, and presence of God. So we covered the kingdom. We covered the house of God. We covered offerings and presentation and worship. And so today we're going to cover restoring honor for God's ministers. You can't disrespect and dishonor God's preachers without disrespecting and dishonoring God. Just like if you assault one of David's men, you assault David, and there's going to be a price to pay. If you assault a U.S. ambassador, you assault the U.S., and there will be a price to pay. You don't kidnap our soldiers without calling in a drone strike. The kingdom's the same way. Don't attack God's ministers. When they're dirty, you have a, a right to defrock them and remove them. We have a right to judge them, but you don't dishonor them when they're holy and clean and living for God. The problem I'm finding, and we'll look at it as we go along here, the average American minister believes he's worth nothing and just wants to be cool and accepted. That might be indicative that he has no personal walk with God because when you have a walk with God, you just don't really care what people think of you. At some point, you grow up, your dad proves it, and you don't care what anybody thinks about you when you go to the grocery store. Amen. You just don't care. You just, at some point, you grow up and you quit caring, but the Church of America is led today by insecure men younger than me. I'm 45, and they seem to be very concerned with what people think of them, and they've just not grown in Christ any further. At some point, you grow up and you say, I don't care what people think. I owe God everything. Therefore, I'm going to preach for God. I'm not going to preach for you. So we've been using this game called Kerplunk, and in the past, we've started off with it loaded, where these straws go into these holes, and it builds a network of defense against marbles, which we say represent sin and carnality. And so uh, we, as we have preached in the past, every time we'd mention some popular, secular thing trendy churches do, we'd pull a straw out, and we saw the point was the more we embrace the world and reject the kingdom's principles, the thinner our defense against the world, the flesh, and the devil gets. And I made a little chart here in my notes. Uh, the difference between the sacred church and the common church are the techniques and practices we use. And we'd have to admit the typical average American church has embraced secularizing techniques. Amen. But it's a reflection of our culture. Our churches today are entertainment-driven because America is the most entertainment-driven culture on the planet. We invented Hollywood. We invented the motion picture. We invented the summer blockbuster. And everybody's been trying to keep up, apparently even the church now. So one of the things we do, just to kind of feign this, we, we begin to pull the things of God out of our churches by practicing these secularizing techniques. And one of the things we said, to be fair, is that there's nothing wrong with one of these or two of these. But when we become totally defined by secular techniques, we lose all power. We lose all holiness. We lose everything that makes us distinct from the world. And before long, the, more, the modern church becomes more like a Vegas sideshow, a carnival, or Cirque du Soleil. And at some point, Jesus might get a shout out. Yo, props to my Savior. Yo, now we want to give an altar call, yo, because you need Jesus, because he's the Savior. Well, what you did for the last one hour guarantee was not Jesus. And now you want to give him a shout out? So as I read this list of secularizing techniques, I have friends that do some of these. I have friends that do all of these. And I can tell you, knowing them and their complaints in private, some of their problems are tied to this. 
And I'm thankful God raised me up under holy men of God who taught me to put the Holy Ghost and the Word first. And honestly, where I'm seeing some of my friends go, I was delivered from that coming out of Seattle in 1994. What I was as a hippie, Bob Marley listening to hip-hop-influenced rock climber, mountain biker, snow skier, uh, snowboarder, I came out of that bushy hair, hippie, backpacking, what I was delivered from, I'm watching my friends go into. What, what Seattle birthed in the 90s with grunge, the church is now doing. I mean, you're 30 years behind times, man. So let me list some of these secularizing techniques. These are the things that will hurt the church. Chase cultural fads. Chase that. That'll hurt you. Embrace the spirit of entertainment. I have nothing wrong with a, a proper Easter cantata or a passion play or a, a nativity story at Christmas time. I have no problems with children doing these kind of fun productions where they get to learn the gospel and we have a fun night. I'm not against that. It's not what I'm talking about. The spirit of entertainment makes everything in your church look like the world according to America secularism. Embrace social causes, which our churches have done heavily in the last 20 years. But I want you to know social causes are based on the world's standard of justice and what the world finds important. And the church is not anointed to chase social causes because the social causes of 2022 are not the same as they were five years ago. Because now if you're going to stay relevant with the social justice warriors, you have to promote transgenderism and hormone therapy for five-year-olds. Are you willing to do that in your church or did you draw the line somewhere? And what if you should have drawn the line 10 years ago? The gospel affects culture. Social causes chase culture. We have a standard we don't come down from. Right now, it's very popular for churches to embrace the Black Lives Matters movement because there's problems in the black inner city. But the gospel has a solution for that. Disciple the culture. One of the problems of the black inner city is an 85% illegitimacy rate. And all sociology proves that when you don't have a father in your life, you're going to fall apart. Furthermore, African-Americans commit 40% of all the abortions. So the 85% are born illegitimate. Those are of the ones that were lived, allowed to live. So you have a culture now that doesn't want to raise its children. Or if it does, uh, if it doesn't want to raise them, it just kills them. 13% of women are African-American in our nation, but of that 13%, 40% of their abortion, uh, um, pregnancies are aborted. So if you want to talk about disparity, how about them statistics? 13% of the population commits 40% of the abortion, and yet we want to say there's a social justice problem. I think there's a culture problem that must be remedied by the preaching of the gospel. And it's not in the countryside. It's not in the suburbs. It's an inner city thing where most cities are run by progressives. So instead of hijacking your church away from Jesus Christ and the gospel mandate, stick with the last words of Christ, go into all the world, preach the gospel, preach morality, preach marriage, preach life, and change your culture with the power of the Holy Ghost, not locking arms with transgender drag queens with raised Marxist rainbow fists. So that's why we don't do social causes around here. Never will. Because I'm not called of God to do it. And neither are you. So repent and apologize to Jesus for betraying him. Amen. 
So what about having the carnal worship team? That's a secularizing technique. Just be trendy. Have a trendy worship team. Trendy, 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 trendy. In fact, let your worship teams follow uh, all the current music videos and let's model their music and let's model their dress. Because the modern reputation now is that the worship team doesn't know the Bible. They're just carnal and teach the young people how to dress trendy and jam. They also stay up to speed on all the current tattoo trends. How about the casual mindset? That's a secularizing technique. It's really something sad when the 16-year-old at Steak and Shake dresses nicer than the megachurch preacher. <laughs> and your hostess at Olive Garden dresses nicer than your megachurch preacher. How about entertaining messages? Just focus on entertaining messages. I know what. Use popular movies as a catalyst to preach the gospel. Does God need Spider-Man's help? Some churches think so. How about mood-setting lights? Why do you need to set the lights with moods? Why do you need to set the mood? We come into his presence with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. There's a psychology researched on mood lighting. Why would we embrace that in our churches? When there's a proven psychology and a sociology behind mood lights, why do you need that? Do you think when you get to the throne of God, Jesus is going to whistle and the seraphim are going to lower the lights? That's retarded. Hit it, boys. There is no darkness in him, neither shadow of turning. There'll be no sun in heaven because his light is the light of the, of the heavens. There's a rainbow in heaven over his throne. He sits upon emeralds and sapphires, and it's colorful. But you don't have to lower the lights to see that. And I'm pretty sure they're not going to be techno rave beats in heaven or EDM music in heaven. <laughs> Come on, man. Oh, how about coffee bars and nacho bars? I don't know if there's any nacho bars, but you know some stupid church has come up with the nacho bar somewhere. Nacho bars. Yeah. Why? So halfway through the message, half the people can get up and go use the bathroom? They're like, those jalapenos just kicked in. I got to go. How about carnal life groups? Because most life groups I've ever heard of, I was a part of them in Bible school, they descended into carnality pretty quickly. 15-minute lesson, then we're watching The Bachelor, The Bachelorette, Game of Thrones, anything secular, carnal. That's not what we did 15, 20 years ago. That's current. How about pre-service church icebreakers? You wouldn't believe how many churches shoot T-shirt guns and have buffalo wing-eating contests to warm up the crowd. I kid you not. <laughs> I apologize to our African members here because this kind of stupidity and retardation does not take place on the African continent because they fear God. How about cater to comfort the comfort of carnal man? That's why we give you a one-hour church guarantee, in and out in less than an hour. In fact, there was a church somewhere where I was driving through that says our church, one-hour church. You better live up to that, man. It's false advertisement if you go over a minute. How about your pastor is Jimmy Fadchaser? Jimmy Fadchaser, he's the senior executive Campus 3 production pastor. I'm sure he didn't think that was what God would call him to do when he was in Bible school, but now that's his title, senior executive Campus number 3 production 
pastor. So what do you actually do? Do you pastor? No, I just pick up sheep droppings. Make sure the Wi-Fi is connected so that when we chime in to the main campus, everything works. You're not a pastor then. How about hallowing practices? And we'll reverse this now. How about hallowing practices? Like just stay with the kingdom's proven practices. And how about chase the spirit of God in your services, whatever it takes to get him there. And what about instead of social justice causes, walking arm in arm with transgenders and, and uh, you know, drag queens and all that debaucherous stuff and abortion providers, how about you just go door-to-door evangelizing in the inner city? See if you can pray for somebody, get them born again. Or the suburbs, get them born again. How about a holy worship team with a high criteria, making sure they're clean and not sleeping with each other? How about we have a reverential mindset instead of a casual mindset, and we come to the house of God wondering how we can maybe reverence God again, what we can do to make the house of God sacred. What about uh, instead of entertaining messages, we pursue doctrinal messages, reproving messages, uh, sermons that perfect the saints and equip them and not just always make them laugh or giggle or have a jumbotron showing another movie clip. When you have to tie your sermon to a movie clip, you're pretty carnal. And you probably don't have much understanding of the scripture. How about instead of mood setting lies, just shut up, close your eyes, and lift your hands? Look at that. The lights just went dark. <laughs> Pastor Vaughn taught us 25 years ago, thank God, if you can close your eyes and it doesn't matter, then why do you need it? When you close your eyes, you can't see the fog. When you close your eyes, maybe you need to so the lasers don't shoot you in the face. <laughs> if you're going to close your eyes in the presence of God, what does all that production mean anyway but wasted money? So how about a reverential mindset? Close your eyes and lift your hands. If you're hungry, instead of a coffee bar and a nacho bar, how about you obey the Bible? If you're hungry, eat at home. Hey, how about, engrafted word, finish your coffee in your car, please so I don't have a collection of tumblers above the coat rack. You thought I was picking on seeker-friendly folks. I'm not against coffee, but we don't need tumblers everywhere. I mean, were you that late coming in? I mean, that late getting up, you just couldn't. We have an impromptu coffee bar out there. Tumblers galore. Yet he's making a lot of money off this church. At least by our tumbler collection they are. If you're hungry, eat at home. How about prayer services instead of carnal life groups? You know, you'll change people a lot more by bringing them into prayer than you will staying at home doing a 10-minute little canned Bible study than everybody watching Bachelor together or Survivor or Game of Thrones or whatever. How about altar calls and prayer lines instead of icebreakers? How about actually open the altar? There's a lot of churches that used to be spirit-filled, and they aren't anymore, and their folks don't even know what a prayer line is. They've never seen people lay hands on and fall out. How about a cater to the standard of a holy God and let God sort out the visitor? All these things work together to build this tremendous network. And instead of Jimmy Fad Chaser, you have a pastor, a reverend, a holy man of God who lives not for the golf course or the hobby, but for the congregation and for God. Is that too much to ask? If you don't want to do that, Jimmy Fad Chaser, resign. Or you can't get paid six figures anywhere else doing nothing. When the little country preacher bivocational man, his church can't even pay him a hundred bucks a month, 
He works three jobs on the side, seeks God, ministers to 25 folks, and his brain's beaten up because he doesn't have the mega puke church. Those little country preachers out there running cattle, farming, two jobs on the side, and caring for a congregation, this region doesn't deserve them. And their congregation probably doesn't even know what they've got. The preacher has been complicit in his own dishonor. Whereas it is the Bible that demands a respect for God's holy ministers, the modern minister, in a carnal attempt to get people to like him and avoid the shallow pejorative of cult leader or man worship, insisted that the parishioners reject the Bible's teaching and equalize their leaders. You need to understand the man of God or woman of God that God has set over you is not equal to you in the kingdom. On the streets, the police officer is not equal to you or I. In the courtroom, the judge is not equal to you or I. In the halls of Congress, the representative is not equal to us. They're above us. And in this kingdom, the man or woman of God is not your equal. And yet the modern preacher has insisted that that was not so. We're all buddies. We're all equals. I understand the notion of being a servant, a servant leader. But even Jesus Christ said, you're not greater than your master. You're not greater than your leader. Just as the church, the Sabbath, and the worship of God has now become the lowest, most casual, and profane part of the American's week, so too the minister, the pastor, has become the most casual, the most trendy, the most common, the most hip, profane leader in the modern landscape. Can you imagine the production line manager at the factory trying to be trendy and accepted by his employees? Can you imagine the chief of police trying to be cool? when he leads the police officers. Can you imagine the judge coming in with some bedazzled black robe and a hammer that shoots out lasers when he drops it on his verdicts, just to be cool, just to make a name for himself? Most of this is nothing but shallow ego chasing. The average American minister is no longer worthy of the title reverend for he is no longer worthy of reverence as he once was. He no longer lives separate, holy, and devout. He now, he's now just as casually dressed, frequently tattooed, often the womanizer, craft beer consumer, and covetous of his acceptance as the average carnal baby Christian in its congregation is. Perhaps the modern preacher no longer wants God's people to call him pastor, reverend, or even brother because subconsciously he realizes he doesn't deserve it. The minister is twice called out by God and therefore worthy of double honor. He is called out first from the world to be a believer. Then, and this is what we must keep in mind, after years of training, sacrifice, heartache, rebuke, and qualification, God calls him out of the congregation to turn and lead the people. The average layperson will never know the burden of qualifying for ministry much less the actual burden of caring for God's people. And this is why we distinguish them. How dare we equalize them? How dare they teach people to equalize them? You can call me whatever you want to. Brother Chad was with me a couple years ago when a former church member who all I did was help, serve, and save drove by and cussed at me the most vulgar things you ever heard while Chad and I were in the parking lot. Didn't bother me a bit. Chad said, did they just say what I think they said? I said, yeah, yeah. I said, wow, I've never been called that before. Funny thing is, that's what she actually does every night. 
Call me what you want. It's not going to affect me. But I won't teach you to ruin your life by dishonoring God's leaders. Just like if you've never been to court, your lawyer needs to say, all right, when he comes in, stand up, address him as your honor. Otherwise, why? You'll be held in contempt. That's just so legalistic. That's man worship. You're an idiot. You're going to jail for a long time. And you know what? You have to be taught when you see blue lights behind you, you pull over. License and registration. If you have a carry conceal permit, you're taught to show that as well. You say, yes, sir. What's the problem? Officer, you don't act the fool and try to pick a fight with the cop. If you're polite, they might have mercy on you. You don't call them pig. You don't roll down the window and say, you smell bacon, officer? <laughs> Only a moron would do that. And the cop doesn't demand anything, but he has his rights and his authority to tase you till you shake like a fish and wet your britches. <laughs> I smell sizzling now, boy. <laughs> Dance. <laughs> I'm going to drain this battery on you. This is common sense. But we're being taught by preachers to make everything that is God's common. And it's blasphemy. <laughs> In the Old Testament, the priests and prophets were holy unto the Lord. They dressed differently. They carried themselves differently. In the Bible, if we were to dare invoke that book and base our doctrine and faith on it, God's holy servants were not to be trifled with nor disrespected. It was always clear God's people were not equal in authority to God's minister. When Abraham the prophet was disrespected by King Abimelech, God smote the king and his household with sickness. Every time the congregation murmured or slandered against Moses and Aaron, God smote them with sickness, disease, and fiery serpents. All they did was bellyache, complain, and gossip about those men behind his back. And God would just say, hey, Moses, when you wake up in the morning, there's going to be a lot more dead. When the prophets came to town in the Old Testament, the people would ask fearfully, do you come in peace? Because they feared the man of God and his ability to move God for them or against them. When congregational elders slandered Moses, God smote the slanderer with leprosy, despite the fact that it was Moses' sister. Kinship is no excuse. When Michael despised her husband, her king, David, for his worship, God smote her with barrenness. When Absalom attacked the king, his father, his life ended in murder. When King Uzziah lifted his pride against the priests trying to do their job for them, God smote the arrogant king with leprosy and he died a leper. In Acts chapter 23, Paul demonstrated that God's people were taught respect for their leaders. He repented for unknowingly being critical of the high priest, calling him a whited wall. And When the, the men said, that's the high priest, Paul said, I repent. I should not have said that. Forgive me. In the New Testament, God continues to emphasize respect and honor for his appointed leaders. And this is where folks don't get it. We do have a problem with man worship. We do have a problem with hero worship. But hero worship and honor are two different things. We honor the office. We honor the position. We don't look to their gender. And there's only two of those. Let's be clear. Unless you're a social justice warrior then you might be confused. Social justice ruins your math skills. 
and your basic understanding of biology. That's why we will not promote social justice in this church, because I want you to know you either have an Audi or any when it comes to genitalia. Social justice says, just be whatever. Let's lock arms and march together because you know things are unjust. There's only two genders. Honor doesn't see the gender. Honor sees the authority. Jesus Christ commanded the ten lepers, go show yourself to the Pharisees, the priests, and give them the, uh, the offering Moses commanded as a testimony to them, for they sit in the seat of Moses. Those were his enemies, but he was teaching the ten lepers he just healed to go show honor to the Lord's enemies because they sat in a seat of authority. We honor the seat of authority. In 1 Timothy 5.17, the Bible says, Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. Double honor? Man, a lot of these modern churches, we'd be doing good to get a quarter honor, much less double honor. But why double honor? Because they're twice called out. They're called out of darkness. Now they're a brother in Christ. That's a set of honor. And then they're called out of being laity to being a leader in the house of God. That's a double portion of honor, double respect, double honor. Care for them, revere them. 1 Thessalonians 5.12, Paul said, Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard. That's talking about ministers. They work hard among you. They care for you. They admonish you. They are not your equal. They work among you, but they are over you and they rebuke you. Those that rebuke you have extraordinary honor for. Hold them in the highest regard. Another translation says, hold them and give them an extraordinary measure of respect. Extraordinary in measure. Regard them highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. So here's a commandment. It's not a suggestion. There's no fear of man worship here or idolatry. Respect those that do all the heavy lifting. Respect those that do all the heavy lifting. What does the highest regard, what does an extraordinary measure look like? Does it mean to esteem them less than the ball coach? Paul said, look at those preachers among you. Give them the highest regard. Honor them in an extraordinary measure. Does it mean esteem them less than your ball coach? Does it mean to esteem them lower than your doctor, your teacher, your professor, the police officer, the politician, the judge, the sports hero? And whatever way our culture teaches us to esteem these civic leaders for all their scandals and corruption, shouldn't we esteem God's spiritual leaders even higher? Paul was shown more respect by the pagans on the island than he was by most of the churches. Remember, they were marooned on that island, and the serpent bit him, and he shook it off, and he healed the king, the chieftain. He had a bloody flux. And they says, and they honored us with great honors, with many honors. They were thankful that a gift had come from God to bless them and to heal them and to fix them and give them the gospel. And there was a conversion and a revival. And they honored him with many honors. And then Paul goes on to write his epistles. He's having to plead with them, love me. I'm your father in the faith. Love me. I, I, con I conceived you in the gospel. Love me. I begat you. He's having to plead with his own churches. Don't you remember who I am? And it was the pagans on an island 
who were superstitious had honored him with many honors. Never says that of anybody else. If we call the coach, coach, and we call the doctor, doctor, and we call our auntie, what do we call her? Sarah or auntie? We call her aunt, Aunt Deborah. I have aunts, Aunt Deborah, Aunt Susan, Aunt Ruthie. We call our uncle, uncle. If we call our teachers, Mr. or Mrs., even when I did judo, I had two different instructors. I called them Mr. Carter and Mr. Foster. They weren't Japanese, so I didn't call them sensei. I called them Mr. Carter and Mr. Foster because they were worthy of honor. If we call the professor at school, doctor or professor. If we call the police officer, officer. Is there a problem, officer? Yeah. We gave it away, the blue lights, the fact that I'm pulling you over. <laughs> if we call the politician, representative, or Madam Secretary, or Madam President. If we call the judge, your honor. Even husbands and wives have terms of honor reserved only for each other, such as honey, sweetie, and baby. Not jerk, moron, ball and chain, battle axe, and caveman. Some of you need to quit using Jezebel so much against your wife. You're the reason she's a Jezebel. She's flaring up because you're the moron. You're the idiot. Honestly, calling your wife a Jezebel, especially in our church, that's spiritual manipulation because you know my teaching on it. You know your wife understands that teaching, and you're trying to hurt her. So don't be that coward. Realize she's probably telling you something loud because you're stupid to hear it soft. And Ecclesiastes says, the word of a wise man are heard more in, in, in a whisper than the words of a fool are heard yelling. Amen. How could we ever think it's acceptable in the kingdom of God to call the twice called out gospel preaching anointed pastor who bears the burdens of a church with all its families, who watches for the soul of his flock, who is ridiculed by the very people he lives and sacrifices his own family for. How in God's name did we ever come to the biblically illiterate and woefully dishonorable conclusion that we could just refer to him as Bob? Except that he taught that himself. That's so disrespectful, so dishonorable. Because you won't dishonor your doctor and call him Chuck. You don't call your coach after 80 years Jimmy. He's still coach. You don't call that officer who pulls you over by any derogatory term. He doesn't even have his first name on the badge. He just has a letter and then his last name. And yet, the most important leaders in our life, we give the least honor to. And the preachers seem to be cool with that. If they're taking care of your life, you would do well to honor them. Even if they're in the hospital, you respect those nurses. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. Because they hold your life and your goods in their hands. When your life is in the hands of somebody else, you would do well to show them honor and respect. And you'll get more out of them. Show the police officer respect you're not going to sizzle You may not even get a ticket. You show the professor respect, you may get the A when you deserve a B plus. 
You show the judge respect, you may get a lighter sentence than 15 to 25. You show your mom and dad some respect, they may buy you ice cream rather than whip your tail and put you to bed early. This is pretty common sense. But isn't it damning that our preachers are teaching us how to be this disrespectful because they want to be accepted and they're afraid of what people think. And if you're still afraid of what people think, you're probably not fit for ministry because you cannot be driven by people's looks or their carnal whims or the fact that most of our churches are discipled by Instagram and TikTok and Snapchat. Why do you care what an Instagram middle-aged fat white woman thinks about? She can't even control spoons. You're going to let her control you? What happened to the real men of God? Why is there no deference made for the, God, the man of God that God has appointed to care for his flock? And why does Bob and Sal and Jim promote their own dishonor and they think it's cool? According to Ephesians 4.11... The minister in general and the local pastor in particular does something for the Christian that no one else in the entire world can do for them, and that is perfect and equip them for the kingdom of God. And we insist on relating to them like a drinking buddy. <laughs> Maybe in some of these churches he is your drinking buddy. I've had several pastor friends that love their beer, and they weren't Lutheran or German. Even more indicting is the fact that the world now honors the church's leader more than the church does, calling them reverend and preacher. Reporters, strangers, they'll ask you, oh, you're a pastor. Do I, do I call you reverend? Do I call you sir? Are you a priest? Even the world still remembers how to honor the holy men of God. And they trip over themselves. I've watched it in interviews to give honor to who they're interviewing. How is it the world now has a better sense of biblical honor for God's ministers than the churches do? How is it the world and the TV reporter knows to make a distinction between the holy and the profane, but the modern church, led by its new generation of preachers, doesn't? And it is because dishonor is a plague that was intentionally unleashed on the body of Christ by market-driven madmen. Man, I like that church. It's cool over there. That preacher, man, he's funny. I can relate to him, man. I mean, that's just Chuck. Chuck and I, we do a lot of stuff together, man. And listen, Chuck, reverend, preacher, pastor, twice called out one, went to seminary for six years, got your master's in divinity. Listen, you're going to ruin that man by letting him treat you common. Do you let your kids call you Chuck? I am 45 years old, and my dad is still dad. And my mom is still mama. I'm a leader in the body of Christ with a lot of accolades and accomplishments, and it's still mama, and it's still dad. And when they call me up and they say, son, we need to talk to you about something, I instantly melt in my heart and think, where am I in trouble? Because they don't do that to me a lot. My dad, a couple, about a year ago, he said, son, I need to talk to you about something serious. And I go into little boy mode. And I, my heart has to prepare itself. I'm about to be rebuked by my dad. Is he going to rebuke my church? Did he watch something I, didn't, I preached he didn't like? Is there something about my marriage? He doesn't do it a lot, which means when he does it, I will listen. And he brought something to attention he was concerned about with one of my daughters. And I said, all right, dad, I'll look into that. 
He said, I was with, I was with you yesterday, and I observed this. And I want you to look at it, son. I'll help you. Yes, sir. Even to this day, I don't call him John. My dad's name's not even John. It's Dad. <laughs> and I don't even call my mom Rebecca. It's Mama. And it's yes, ma'am. We get that. The pagans get that. But, you know, for the preacher, it's just Chuck. I grew up Southern Baptist, and, and they're not so much big on the term pastor, but they do revere their pastors as brother. So our first pastor I remember growing up was Brother Glenn, and they always referred to him as Brother Glenn, and it was a term of deference. They deferred him. They, they revered him. They, by calling him brother, you were acknowledging he's not your equal, and when he comes to your house, you're not watching football and drinking a beer together. If he comes to your house, you're in trouble or you need prayer. Brother Glenn came and visited me. But Brother Glenn also had a bass fishing boat called Visitation. So if you ever called the church and he wasn't there, he'd say, I was out on a visitation. And so that was his way of... <laughs> He's a wise man of God. You sure do visit a lot all the time. I'm catching as many as I can. The Bible says I'm a fisher of men. and It's partially right. I am a fisher. Men. <laughs> We call, excuse me, we honor God's ministers because God does. We call God's ministers the title God Almighty calls them as a way to make a distinction between the holy and the common. The reason why in this church, if you have a PhD, I insist on calling you doctor, is to honor what you worked hard for. And the rest of you I call ma'am and sir and mister. And we teach our kids. We correct them. If they say you by your first name, we say, uh-uh. That's Mr. Steve. That's Mr. Philip. That's Mr. Frank. Because we want our children to be honorable. When I grew up, you didn't even call adults by their first name. It was Mr. Ogilvy. And it was Miss Smith. It was Mr. Wolf and Miss Scudder. I don't even remember the first names of any of my kids' friend, uh, parents. We've really even dropped the ball on that. But you'd also acknowledge we have a horrible problem today where kids think they're equal to adults because we don't teach honor even in our homes anymore. <laughs> Amen. We call God's ministers the title God calls them because that's what God calls them. They don't have to insist on it. They may not want to, but I'm going to give honor somewhere, some form or another. A lot of churches don't believe in apostles anymore. I do. I may not call somebody an apostle, but I'm going to call them sir or reverend or pastor or brother. There's going to be some distinction for the holy man of God that has lived 55 years for Christ in a third world hole. They're worthy of something other than just Bob. So despicable. But it really does show social media influence on the church. The counter argument has often been the Lord's words. Call no man father. Okay. How many times did the Lord say that? Once. How many times did Paul address that? None. So we have one verse with which we can build hardly a doctrine out of, but there is a truth to it. So I ask these questions. Call no man father, not even your dad. What about Paul's exhortation to Corinth about having 10,000 teachers but not having many fathers? 
What of Paul calling Abraham the father of our faith? Was Paul in contradiction to the Lord's one verse? Paul's doctrine was clear. Anyone who begets a convert in the gospel becomes a father of the faith. Or what about John addressing the fathers of the faith in 1 John? Twice he references them, you fathers. What about Paul saying, Timothy, my own son in the faith? Call no man father, not even dad. Come on, let's not be legalistic. Romans 10 in the New Living Translation says, give respect and honor to those who are in authority. Give respect and honor to those who are in authority. Give fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor is due. We're commanded to give respect and honor to those in authority. That is not man worship. If you didn't know, man worship and honor are two different words. Is it man worship when we honor father and mother? Is it man worship when we honor the king, which the Bible commands us to do? Is it man worship when we honor the brethren. It's not man worship, it's honor. We confuse the two because we're not taught on either. Worship and respect are two different words, as are worship and honor. Ironically, many ministers and churches who reject teaching honor for God's servants for fear of man worship are also addicted to the entertainment spirit. See the irony. We're addicted to the entertainment spirit So why would we dare teach our people to respect the leaders? Because they're allergic to any kind of honor. Entertainment-driven churches produce celebrity preachers, and with stardom comes hero worship. So you see the irony, the hypocrisy. You won't teach honor for the man of God, but you'll be entertainment-driven, which produces celebrities, which produces worship. A lack of doctrine on biblical honor will produce a void that true man worship will fill. A lack of doctrine on biblical honor will produce a void that true man worship will fill. But I say this, at least they're consistent in their ethic. In their churches, nothing in authority gets honored, not even God. Only the carnal visitor who's on a tight Sunday morning time schedule gets honored. Really, what kind of tight morning Sunday schedule exists? It's Sunday morning. But we still feel compelled, coward preachers, to give the visitor a one-hour service guarantee. We promise we'll have you in and out in an hour. It's Sunday morning, dude. Give God more than an hour. And if you can't give God more than an hour, then don't even come. You're dishonorable and disrespectful. You'll give Facebook more time than that when you sit on the toilet. Legs going numb, just scrolling to the bottom of no man's land. It's hypocritical and disgusting. Not even being on the toilet is disgusting. That's the human nature. But you won't even give God an hour because you're busy on a Sunday morning doing what? It's pathetic. Maybe they realize they haven't earned the honor because they aren't fulfilling the biblical job description. Maybe that's why they don't want to be called pastor or brother, or reverend. They won't teach their people to show some kind of deference because they realize, I haven't earned it. After all, you don't call a woman a doctor if she's not a doctor, and you don't call 
a man a coach if he's not coach. And maybe these men don't want to be called pastor because they know on the inside they're not really a pastor. You can either be a watchman over men's souls or you can entertain them, but you can't do both. Pastors ought to focus on their assignment, and that is being a watchman over the souls of their congregation. Turn with me to Matthew 10, and let me read you a passage here. Matthew 10. And we'll start to land this sermon. I don't demand to be called pastor. But I make sure I honor everybody any way I can. I have a friend I went to college with who's a local doctor. I call him doctor and then his name because he earned it. And it shows respect. Plus, I need him to be a doctor sometimes. I don't need him to be my former buddy. I need him to be serious. And when I call him that, he turns that hat on. If I call him by his another name that we gallivanted around and did stupid college stuff with, he turns doctor off and we get stupid real quick. <laughs> Amen. Matthew 10, verse 40. He that receives you receives me. Jesus talking to his disciples. And he that receives me receives him that sent me. So here's a chain of command. Receive the preacher, you receive Jesus. If you receive Jesus, receive the Father. These are the red letters. This is not my doctrine. This is the Lord's doctrine. He goes on to say in verse 41, And he that receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. So I guess they're not receiving the prophet in the name of Jesus. So that's just a prophet. So you instantly limit the rewards you get by how you receive someone. And no matter how you receive someone, there's always a reward. If you receive someone as a jerk stranger and you treat them like a jerk stranger, there's a reward to that. They may be a jerk stranger back. If you receive the manager of the restaurant as the manager of the restaurant and treat them as the manager of the restaurant, there'll be a better reward, which might be a free meal or an apology or a, a better seat. How you receive people will totally control what you receive from them. So the teaching in this passage is about how you respect and receive people. How do you view them? So Jesus starts off by saying, if they'll receive you as emissaries of Jesus Christ, me, he says, they'll receive me. And if they'll receive me, they'll get the Father. So what happens if they don't receive the, the apostles as coming from the Lord? They don't get Jesus and they don't get the Father. So he takes it a step down in verse 41. He that receives a prophet in the name of a prophet. Well, that's just prophet Bob. Well, the best they'll get is a prophet's reward, which is good, but it isn't receiving the son or the father. And he that receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. We just took another step down. We go from apostles in the name of the Lord Jesus to prophets in the name of a prophet. Now just a righteous man. And when all you do is acknowledge them as a righteous man, praise God, you'll treat them with respect, but the best reward you can get is the respect and a reward a righteous man can give you of his own strength. Still pretty good. And verse 42, whosoever shall give to drink unto one of these little ones a cup of cold water, only in the name of a disciple. We just took another step down. 
Verily I say unto you, he shall in no wise lose his reward. So you come upon another person, and you just esteem them as an as a immature one, just a disciple, and the least you do for them is, well, let me help you, and you give a cup of water down. There's still a reward for that, but it's not the same as receiving the apostle in the name of the Lord Jesus. So my question I always present is, what if all of these are the same person? What if all of these people, the apostle, the prophet, the righteous man, and the disciple, what if it's the same person? Because let's just take Peter. Peter was an apostle of the Lamb. Peter was a prophet. Peter was a righteous man. Peter was a disciple. And however you treated and received Peter totally controlled what you got out of him. If, as some did, you just treat Peter as a disciple, you get nothing out of him. If you treat Peter as just a righteous man, you get a righteous man's reward out of him. If you treat Peter as a prophet, you get a prophet's reward. But if you'll treat Peter as an apostle of the Lamb who's come in the name of the Lord Jesus, salvation may come to your whole household like it did Cornelius. So what about the local pastor? Because even in this room right now, there are those who think of me, I'm a guy, I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ and have been since I was 18. Got born again at 7, but rededicated my life at 18. Backslid in my last bit of high school and into my first year of college. I'm a disciple. I'm a righteous man. I wouldn't call myself a prophet, but I am a teacher. So we'll say teacher. I'm also the pastor over this flock. And those are four categories with which you might relate to me or receive me. And it will totally dictate what you get out of me. And of course, we might add this fifth one. I'm an idiot, loser, heretic, cult leader, preacher, and pooey on him. But I find I get more respect from the world than I do from some Christians. I find I get more respect from the stranger on an airplane than I do some of my own sheep. But so did the Lord Jesus, so I'm in good company. Remember, it's his people that killed him. It was his tribe that killed him. It was his priests that killed him. So I don't feel bad for myself. But you totally control what you get out of your doctor. When you go see your doctor all hopped up on WebMD, you get nothing out of your doctor because you've made him your equal because you spent a couple hours researching WebMD. When you go to your professor and you think, well, I watched Nat Geo last night. I know as much as they do. You get nothing from your professor. Same with anything else. If that cop pulls you over and you start going Grand Theft Auto in your mind, you're going to get a lot out of that officer. He may bring the full force of his authority on you. Spike strips, helicopters, shotguns with beanbags. You make the evening news. And then he may still pull that little taser out and make you sizzling. Wee, wee, wee all the way home. So why do we need to honor God's ministers? Number one, it honors God. Number two, the Bible teaches us to do so. Number three, it makes a distinction between the holy and the profane. Number four, it reflects the kingdom's principles to the world around us. I want to tell you guys a secret because I judge you. I like running to you, into you in public when you're with somebody who doesn't go to church to see how you'll introduce me. Because some of you fail. I get the greatest joy out of it. Not watching you fail, just watching you sweat. Will you call me by the term you call me in the house of God when you see me at Walmart? Hey, look, it's... Uh, let's pull the shopping cart faster so nobody has to hear me yell, I have a pastor. 
even though he saved my marriage and dedicated all my kids. Hey, pastor, why don't you yell that down there? <laughs> and then some of you, I love it because you're like, hey, this is my pastor. You should come to my church. Different hearts. And yet I do the same work for every one of you equally. Different levels of gratitude, different levels of honor, different levels of fear, different levels of insecurity. Because when you call someone by their name, their term, their title, it cuts through any confusion. That's my pastor. If you just call me Chris, nobody knows who that is in your life. Be like, not that it's too much the same, but me just introducing Manda as Manda everywhere we go. This is Manda. Oh, well, it's nice to meet you, Manda. Are you guys together? Yeah, you can say that. <laughs> but when you call her that term of honor, hey, this is my wife, Manda. That answers every question they could ever have in a split second in one word. Do you know it might be a good Christian witness to say, hey, that's my pastor? Because it means you're submitted. You go to church. You're a follower of Jesus Christ. You submit to discipleship. You're in the house of God. You just witness more than you have all week just by saying, that's my pastor. Hey, he's an elder in my church. That's my youth leader. Or you can just be a coward Instagrammer. Living your life on Facebook. Number five, it positions us to receive more from the minister when we honor the minister. And final section, how can we honor God's ministers? Recognize that in the eyes of God, you are not equal in position or authority to them. Support them with prayer, physical help, and finances. And at all costs, refrain from gossiping and slandering them. Amen.